Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 49. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. Today on the show, I am delighted to welcome David Klein. He is the CEO and co-founder of Common Bond, who are one of the leaders in student lending. They have done hundreds of millions of dollars of student loan refinancing, and they are very much focused on those students or those graduates who are you know, really paying too much than they should on their student loans. And they are a different kind of company. We're going to get into that in the podcast. They have very much focused on doing more than just doing refinancing of student loans. They really want to make a company that makes a difference in people's lives. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thanks, Peter. Great to be here. So let's just get started with giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself, what you did before you started Common Bond, and how that kind of led you to the founding of Common Bond. Sure. So you know, before Common Bond, I spent time at McKinsey advising with the financial services clients. I also spent time in consumer finance at American Express. With respect to the idea of common bond or the common bond origins, I think it's important to note a couple things. The first is that I actually come from a family of entrepreneurs. In fact, I was the first in my family to ever work at a company. Uh, and so I said before, you know, I was kind of the, the black sheep of the family having worked at places like McKinsey and American Express. I always knew I was going to go into the family business, so to speak, and and start my own company, but I did want to spend about 10 years in corporate America before I did that. And so long story short, that's what I did. Uh, at about 10 years, I decided, okay, now is the time to, to, to go build a company. I decided to do that from business school, uh, Wharton Business School specifically, which is where you know I really used that opportunity to incubate and accelerate an idea. And the funny thing is, it was precisely because I went to business school that I stumbled upon the idea for Common Bond in the first place. Uh, I had to pay my way 100% with student loans. And in so doing, I discovered a few things. First, rates were unnecessarily high, especially for creditworthy borrowers. Two, the process was overly complex. And three, the service was pretty poor. And so having experienced that personal pain myself, uh, having a background in finance, and as well as having entrepreneurial ambitions, uh, I decided to commit myself to finding a, a better way. And it was in that process, and while at business school, I met my two co-founders, Mike Termina and Jessica Sheen. Uh, I invited them to, to join. They both said yes, and I've been grateful for that. Okay, so it's, it's an interesting story. You... You obviously you went to business school with the idea of starting a company one day, but you, you know, I presume you had other ideas in mind. And what was was it? Did, did you start business school and you went through this process and suddenly think, well, this has just got to change? And or was it sort of a slow genesis where you, over time, realized that this system is not very efficient? What? Which one was it? It was almost 
Yeah, it was almost immediate. In fact, before I even started preterm at Wharton, I had already suffered the, the personal pain of student loans and identified these three areas across race, process, and service that were really substandard to the point of, of, of me you know, kind of identifying this as a broken market. And, and, and so it was with that experience and understanding that I immediately decided to use the opportunity of business school to, you know, build upon the idea and, and build out the, the company from there. Uh, I ended up focusing a lot of my time on it. In fact, I uh, wrote, you know, the, the business plan by around September, October 2011. I, you know, at that point, I had a business plan, but, but no co-founders. I, as I mentioned before, met Mike and Jessa. They both joined, and uh, the rest, as they say, is, uh, is history. So, so you obviously stayed in school at Wharton for a while. I know I think I read somewhere where you, you basically took that your first summer and you just basically devoted it completely to, to the business. And then, so you, you never went back. Is that right? So you spent one year at Wharton and, and then you dropped out? That's exactly right. So spent uh, pretty much full-time on the company, even while in school my first year, frankly. Mike and I then spent our summer between that first and second year dedicated to, to Colin Bond. I ended up dropping out of Warden, continued pushing uh, Colin Bond through. Mike ended up going back to, to Warden, to the Warden San Francisco program at, at the time. Uh, he, too, ultimately dropped out, uh, joined me in New York in December of, of that particular year. And uh, it was really around the time that we raised our first round of outside capital that we, we started really building the team from there, based ourselves in New York City. We're, we're here right now, offices here in, in Chinatown, Manhattan. Okay. So what was it like when you got going? Did you, I mean, when did, when did you actually make your first loan and how, and how did you get the money for that first loan? Sure. So we launched a pilot program at our alma mater at Wharton Business School in November 2012. And it was a two and a half million dollar loan program. And what we, you know, what we wanted to test was three things. One, borrower demand, two, investor demand, and three, operational acumen of the team. Uh, and if, to the extent we could prove those three things out, we believe we earned the right to continue growing and scaling. And what we discovered in the pilot was was a factory three things. First, uh, the borrower demand was there. Within 24 hours of launch, we had about two and a half million of loan applications. Wow. So you filled up we, within 24 hours, basically. <laughs> within 24 hours. So we said, okay, the, the, the demand is definitely there. That's one school in, in, in an off-peak part of, of the cycle. Two was investor demand. We set out to raise one to two million. Uh, in, in, in loan funding, we ended up raising two and a half million. So we said, okay, the the funding is there. And then third, from an operational perspective, it was up to us to disperse to the very last penny in a relatively short period of time uh, what we had raised, and, and we did. And so with that, we used the traction and the momentum there and parlayed that into raising, at the time, what we believed needed to be 50 to $100 million onto our platform in order to launch nationally. And so long story short, that's, that's what we did. We ended up bringing $100 million onto our platform. We launched nationally 
in September 2013, almost two years ago, a little over two years ago today, and we've been we've been growing our program ever since. We started in 20 MBA programs. We're now in over 2,000 schools and universities at both the graduate and undergraduate level. And so, you know, we've, we've continued to, to grow over the past two years. Okay. So, obviously, you started off just doing refinancing of existing loans. Is that, is that correct? And is that still the primary focus? Refinancing is the primary focus. We, we did launch with both a refinance as well as in-school MBA financing program. We still have the in-school MBA financing program in addition to the refinance program uh, across the country. Okay, so I just want to talk about that for a second. Like student loan refinancing was unbeknownst to me that there really was no industry with student loan refinancing until the, you know until the last few years. So what did people do? So basically, so let's go back five years ago to 2010. So no one refinanced student loans. You just you just basically you had your loan and you paid it, and that was that that was it. Was that is that what it was like back then? That's right. It's pretty striking when you think about it. To your point, a few years ago, student loan refinancing really didn't exist, for the exception of you know a consolidation program that the federal government ran, but it was very limited. It was consolidation of multiple loans only. It wasn't an ability to refinance to a lower rate. It was simply put all your loans into, into one place to make it easier to manage. And it was only for federal debt at that. And so there really wasn't much of a market at all for, for refinancing. Of course, today that, that has changed. Uh, it's, a, it's a very large market. Student loans broadly is over $1.3 trillion by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a broader industry, you know, probably no more than five to ten billion have really been refinanced over the past few years, and right. so it's still relatively early days. So, so what kind of loans are you refinancing? You've got you obviously you've got your federal student loans. You've got private loans. I mean, I, I know there's all kinds of like I can't remember what they're called, Parent Plus or something. Um, what what are mm-hmm. what are the loans? that you are refinancing? Yep. So we're refinancing both federal and private debt for the student borrower or or graduate borrower. Uh, We also introduced the refinancing of Parent Plus loans just last month. Uh, So this is the notion that parents can borrow on behalf of their child to go to school for education, expenses, tuition, et cetera. And the parent then holds that loan uh, once the once their student, you know, as their student's in school, and once the student graduates. We now have a product whereby we can refinance that loan directly from the parent, right, or for for the parent. Okay, and so let's just talk about the the kinds of degree programs. You started off with MBAs, you and you started off with twenty schools. And now, you know, you just announced a short time ago you've expanded it, you know, to be on 2,000 schools. I mean, what is the, the typical borrower as far as their – what are they studying and what kind of – is MBA still a major focus? Um, are there other degree programs that you are just as strong in? Where are, you, where are you getting the borrowers? You know, what sort of programs are they in? Sure. So because we started among the MBA set, our portfolio – 
still uh, leans heavier to the NBA side of things, but it's closer to about 50% right now as opposed to 100%. And that number continues to come down as we bring more degrees into the fold. So that's, that's number one. Number two, our average borrower to date uh, is 32 years old. They're uh, on average making six figures, uh, employed, and have a FICO of north of 760. And so that's what, that's what our borrower looks like today, in part because of our upfront underwriting. And what that has led to is a portfolio that in the last two years has performed quite well. <laughs> well, let's just so let's just talk. Let's talk about have, that. Like, I want to get this on the record as well. I mean, when you sure. say performed quite well, I think you're you're using an understatement. So, just explain exactly how your portfolio has performed and what, like, as far as delinquencies and that sort of thing. Sure. So, in the the, the two years now at national scale, we have not experienced a thirty plus day delinquency, let alone a default. And so the, the performance, you know, as, as we talked about, that, that is quite strong, especially in an asset class student loan where you tend to see about 50% of all your defaults happening in the first two to, to three years. Mm-hmm. And so you, you take a step back and say, okay, well, why is that? What's, what's going on? What's special about the common bond platform? And, and I think there are really two things going on. The first is our upfront underwriting and the things that we look at in order to underwrite our borrowers. And then the second uh, is ongoing risk management processes. And this is something that doesn't get a lot of play in the industry or in conversations around underwriting or risk management, but uh, it's probably just as important as upfront underwriting. This is the idea that you cultivate your borrower base, you know who they are to the extent anyone ever finds themselves in economic hardship or to the extent you notice somebody is one day late, there are a series of processes that we activate to ensure that repayment comes into line and we maintain a very strong record around you know, not just defaults, but, but also delinquencies. So how many, how many loans are we talking about then? I mean, you, what, what's, I know you recently, I don't know how long ago it was, you just crossed over $100 million in total loans issued. Can you give us an idea of where you are today and how many sure. loans we're talking about? Sure. So we typically talk about our, our numbers on an annual basis. So to your point, last year we surpassed 100 million loans funded. Okay. Uh, in 2015, we expect to surpass half a billion in loans funded, and in 2016, we, we would expect to surpass 1.5 billion in loans funded. Wow, wow, that's uh, that's that's yeah, that's that's quite a growth rate. So, so today, you're obviously you're, you're getting closer to that 500 million dollar mark. It sounds like that's right. And so, right. And, so and what's what's a typical loan size? Yeah, typical loan size is about eighty thousand uh, dollars. Eighty on eight, average, eight zero over time. Eighty thousand, eight zero. Yeah. Okay. Okay, and then, and what sort of? I mean, obviously, it differs. If someone's taking a private loan, they could have a, a, a very high interest rate. But what is a typical interest rate reduction from someone who's refinancing? Sure. So, as I, as I think you're aware, that the federal government plays a very large role in student loans. In fact, yep. they represent over ninety percent of all newly originated loans in in the industry. And what we see are a lot of borrowers who have federal debt 
and are holding it at 7 8% fixed, all in APR. Meanwhile, uh, these borrowers can refinance on our platform into a variable or fixed rate product that ranges between the high 1% to the mid 6%. And so you can consider on average folks are able to refinance with us for about 4 to 5% fixed, let's call it. You compare that to the 7 to 8% fixed that they get through the federal government. And it's through that that our borrowers on average are able to save over $14,000 over the life of their loan by refinancing a ton of bond. Okay. Yes. So, so what, what, just tell us a little bit about that variable, the variable loan that you have. Is that popular or do most people like the fixed, the fixed rate? Yeah. We, we do notice that both are popular. Fixed rate is more popular than, than variable. Um, but when we introduced the variable rate back in 2014, we did notice a pretty nice pop in demand that has pretty much sustained throughout. And, and that's just because there's a group of, folks who like the variable product. I think many of them believe that uh, given where interest rates are right now, uh, as well as where they think interest rates might be over X number of years, uh, as a function of when they believe they can and should pay back or pay down their loan completely, some folks are taking the variable rate option. And it's the variable rate option where, you know, on the common bond platform, as an example, you're able to get something as low as, you know, the high 1% all the way up into the 4% zone. And on the fixed rate side, you're able to, you're able to secure common bond, anything in the 3% plus, the 6% plus range. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then you're obviously, you're focusing on super prime borrowers. I mean, you said the FICOs and the, I think what you said, like 770 and above. I mean, that's a really you know, a very strong borrower. I mean, is this population going to be your focus moving forward? Because I imagine there's a lot larger population when you go down to maybe just the mid-700s or low-700s, which are still good, strong borrowers. So yep. where are you trying to build your company just on these super prime borrowers or is there a plan to expand? There are a couple things going on here. First, you know, our program is, is open to folks in the low 700s, even the, the high 600s. So we're not precluding people uh, at that part of the credit spectrum, number one. Number two, that being said, the part of the credit spectrum that we're playing in, the high 600s all the way, all the way up to 850, uh, it just so happens to be bunching up. We're averaging around the 760, 770 range. Uh, as a matter of strategy, we do expect to continue serving this group of creditworthy borrowers with student loan products across variable and fixed, across 5, 10, 15, and 20-year terms, um, as well as the, the hybrid loan products that we have. And we're the, the first in, in industry to have a national scale, and I think only where you have a 10-year product that's fixed for the first five years and, and variable thereafter. Uh, and so that's what, the, that's what the student loan picture looks like. We also believe there's opportunities to continue serving our borrowers over their life cycle. So, you know, at 32 years old, we have, we're serving borrowers right now who are at the relative beginning of their customer life cycle. Their financial needs continue to evolve. Many of them, after having gone through the experience, are asking us whether we can or will start offering uh, other products and other asset classes. Uh, and, and we've believed for a while now that, that that makes 
a lot of sense. When we think about the value of what we're building, as well as the reason we do what we do, it's tied much more to the borrower than any one particular asset class. Uh, we believe, you know, we are, we are well positioned to provide a superior product that is well-priced, that heavily leverages technology and provides best-in-class customer service to our borrower as it relates not just to student loans but also other potential products as their financial needs evolve. And so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in, uh, and, and I've mentioned this before, if in, you know, 2016 you see some common bond, a non-student loan product as our first foray into uh, product and asset class expansion. So when you say non-student loan, do you mean like an unsecured personal loan, like a, a lending club type offering, or do you or do you mean real estate? What do you mean exactly? Yeah, I mean, the, the short answer is all of the above. The detailed answer is what, what do we believe is most important to our consumer given where they are in their customer life cycle? And, uh, you know, where are we best positioned to provide a best-in-class product and, and service? And so, you know, along those lines, what we see is that we believe there is opportunity to move into unsecured personal credit and serve this particular borrower who, again, is in their 30s, high FICO. They don't necessarily have a lot of credit card debt floating at 20-plus percent mm-hmm. APR, but... They do, based on the research we've done as well as the conversations that we've had with them, have needs for which personal credit will be able to respond. And interestingly enough, for as much as we talk about and hear about unsecured personal credit, our target borrower actually has gone woefully underserved as it relates to personal credit. And it's still underserved as it relates to personal credit. Uh, The options they have... Right now, uh, we talked about credit cards, not much of an option for that. APR is way too high. Traditional lenders don't really want to offer or extend personal credit to our population. There are a number of platforms and marketplace lending that currently exist around us your personal credit that I think are doing a really good job for what they do, serving the customer that they serve. But in terms of, in terms of our customer, there, there really aren't too many options. And, and so when we look at that, when we hear from our customers, hey, when are you going to start offering personal credit? And when we look at uh, our operations, our platform, our underwriting, our our brand, we think we're well positioned to provide a superior product to our customers. Right. Okay. Okay. I want to switch gears onto the investor side of the equation. So who is funding your loans today? Yep. So today it comes from a wide variety of institutional investors, whether it's uh, credit funds, big banks, small banks, asset managers, insurance companies. It really runs the gamut. I think what's interesting is that our capital strategy from the very beginning has really come in three flavors, uh, or we've always thought about capital strategy uh, along three stages. The first was when we piloted the program at Wharton, we focused raising capital. You know, we, in order to raise capital, we focused on individual accredited investors, mm-hmm. actually alumni of Wharton, and that's where we raised that, that first two and a half million. That was phase one. Phase two was institutional capital. And the reason we focused on institutional capital in phase two is because 
we wanted to scale the business within a reasonable amount of time. And so we decided to concentrate our, our sources of capital to institutional players. And that's the phase that we're in right now. And I'll come back to that in a second. And then stage three would be running both individual uh, capital and institutional capital in parallel, which is something that we expect to revisit, uh, not this year, but expect to revisit nonetheless, uh, because we do think it's important over time to diversify our funding sources. Now, back to, to phase two of that long-term capital strategy, which is squarely where we, where we are right now, two important things to note, and that is the two sides of what we call our hybrid approach to funding. Our approach to, to funding is both balance sheet and marketplace. Mm-hmm. And we were, you know, we started that about a year ago. We were one of the first in the space to start that. And I think we'll start to see more and more of that. In fact, we already have in the last year. And, and the reason for that is, is the following. On, on the balance sheet side, let me define balance sheet as funding through warehouse lines and securitization. Uh, and let me define marketplace lending as uh, interested investors coming onto our platform and buying loans whole on a forward flow basis. Right. Uh, the reason I believe the hybrid approach is something that we'll see more of is for the reasons that we've seen on our platform, it works quite well. When you run both in parallel, you have what we like to call a virtuous cycle, whereby for every new securitization that we do, it's another printed deal that the capital markets can look to to understand on the marketplace side. For those investors who purchase loans whole on our marketplace side and ultimately securitize them, it gives them a public mark on what not only the senior bonds will price at, but what the underlying residual will likely be worth in a securitization. And the, the more visibility that investors have into the value of the residual, the more that sustains the premium over par that we charge investors on our financial marketplace in order to purchase the loans and, and hold them. And then, of course, the more securitizations we do, the more comfortable the market gets with us, the more the pricing on the senior bonds start to compress over time, driving more value to the residual holder of the securitization. Right. Doing so- 100% balance sheet, you know, the, the final comment to make is to do 100% balance sheet could become quite capital intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and to do only marketplace, uh, we think doesn't give the platform the, the credit that it, that it deserves. And so being able to run securitizations to drive full value on the marketplace side, but then also introducing marketplace to ensure that we're managing the capital, the equity capital intensity of the business appropriately over time, we think running in both in parallel is, as I mentioned before, a, a virtuous cycle. Right. Right. So, so like just, just talking a little bit more about that the securitization piece, because you, you completed your first one earlier this summer and it was rated investment grade. So can you just describe a little bit about that process? And if this is, I mean, is, is this going to be something that we see every quarter, every six months? What's your plans? Sure. So as you pointed out, we did our first securitization uh, in June of this year, 2015. That was our first and what we expect to be a series of securitizations. I would expect us to do two securitizations in 2016, if not, if not more. 
I think what was interesting about that securitization, a few things. One, we had always planned to do a securitization in 2015. Two, it was an opportunity to get an investment grade rating from both Moody's and CBRS. Three, uh, it was the first time that a top three rating agency, as far as we know, rated a uh, gave an investment grade rating to a first time issuer in marketplace lending. Mm-hmm. And so it, you know, I, I think I think it signaled a number of things with respect to not just our platform but the growing space of marketplace lending. That you know, 2015 really is the year that marketplace lending is moving from the margin to the mainstream. You know, our platform is really just a microcosm of that. Um, when you think about launching the, the marketplace with Nelnet as our inaugural partner at the beginning of this year, to bringing an industry veteran on board as our CFO and Morgan Edwards, a 25-plus year veteran in finance, who came over to us from Macquarie Bank and Morgan Stanley and other bull bracket firms before that, the securitization itself, the investment grade rating for Moody's and, and DBRS, I think I think what we're what we're finding is that, that 2015 really is the year that marketplace lending breaks out. And of course, this is backed up by announcements throughout the industry, consistently so throughout throughout this year. Okay, great. So before I let you go, I just want to I want you to talk about something that is a little different than what you guys do, and that is the Pencils of Promise program that you have. Mm-hmm. Can you like you know, I know that you know I've, I've heard of some of your presentations, uh, lend it, and you you talk about Common Bond being you know it's not just a, a, a finance company. You want you want to you want to give back. You want to do more. So can you tell us a little bit about the, this program and why you've set it up? Sure. So we have uh, what we call our social promise, and it really is our version of the one-for-one social mission. And that is for every degree fully funded on our platform, we fund the education of a student in need for a full year. And we have partnered with Pencils of Promise, which is an education nonprofit based here in New York in order to make that a reality. And, you know, it's, it's effectively a program whereby our borrowers are not only able to get a superior product that is well-priced and saves them, you know, tens of thousands of dollars over the price of the loan, and not only is it a platform that heavily leverages technology to significantly simplify and speed up the process of getting a loan, but it's also a way for our borrowers to, you know, use business and their business decisions to drive social good. And we merely enable that. And we, we enable that with this one-for-one social mission. Um, we're current, you know, we've, we were the first in finance to, to bring the social mission to bear of this sort. We're still the, the only. My hope is that that changes. Especially, and I believe it will as more and more companies start to realize that the millennial generation in particular like to do business with companies whose values they share. All of that being said, uh, what I'm excited to, to mention is that we are actually taking a few of our borrowers to, uh, to Ghana to a chain of Pencils of Promise schools next week. Hmm. And we're going to be seeing firsthand a lot of the, the work that our borrowers have, have done by coming onto our platform in 
the first place and enable us to help Pencil of Promise put a number of children in need through through school. And so we'll be taking uh, a number of borrowers who secured their spot by responding to an essay contest. They were the best among all the answers we provided. We'll also be taking uh, a couple uh, common bond employees who went through the, the same process. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to go see the, the work of our social mission firsthand here next week. But to your point, it is something that is a bit different. My hope and expectation is that social missions become more the rules and the exception over, over time. Right. That's, that's great. I mean, it certainly will be a fascinating trip, I expect. So, so last question, you're looking ahead to next year. I mean, this, this industry is uh, moving very fast, as, uh, as you're well aware. I mean, what, what are we going to see next from Columbine? Is there going to be another big announcement soon, or, what, or what's on your plate for next year? Sure. So, you know, as we think about 2016, it's really about executing against the, the goals that we've laid out for ourselves. From an originations perspective, as I mentioned before, you know, going from 100 million last year to surpassing 500 million this year to surpassing 1.5 billion next year. From an employee perspective, we've always prided ourselves on doing a lot more with a lot less. So coming into 2000, I'll say this way, at the end of 2014, we had a little over 15 employees. By the end of 2015, we expect to have as many as 60 employees. And by the end of 2016, we expect to have over 100 employees. In terms of revenue, we expect to 7x our revenue this year. We expect to do something similar next year. We look forward to continuing our our social promise and delivering a lot of social value through that as well. And as I mentioned before, starting to introduce other products outside of just student lending. There's a lot to do in student lending, and we'll continue to do it, but adding more products onto our platform to better and more holistically serve our consumer, which is something that they're clamoring for, is something that you can expect to see from us as well. And I think if we continue to do that and to deliver to our customer the four things that ultimately matter to them, which are innovative product that is well-priced, that heavily leverages technology to simplify the process, and delivers best-in-class customer service, then we'll continue to do what we've laid out to do at the very beginning, and that is to build a great and lasting company. Okay. Well, on that note, uh, I'll let you go. I very much appreciate your time today, David. Likewise. Thanks, Peter. Okay. See ya. All right. Bye-bye. I just want to pick up on something that David said a few minutes ago, and that is the fact that 2015, in his opinion, was a year that that marketplace lending went mainstream. And I think that's true to some extent. I mean, if you talk to anyone on Wall Street today, people who were involved in managing you know, billions of dollars in assets, most of those people now know about this industry. I would say there's been a, a real shift this year. But if you go outside of Wall Street into, you know, into middle America, you're going to find a very different story. I think there is still a case where this industry doesn't have the awareness that it should and that it will get one day. I think we've come a long way this year, but uh, 
I, I'm looking forward to the time when when I'm at a party and I talk about P2P lending. People go, oh yeah, that's great. I, you know, what do you think about this, this, and this? That that still doesn't happen to me for the most part. Occasionally, it it, it uh, most people I meet are still new and want to know more about it. They don't really understand uh, what's going on with P2P lending with marketplace lending. So. We are trying to tackle that and we continue to do more uh, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. On that note, I will sign off. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and I will catch you next time. Bye.